You know you're getting old when somebody does a children's talk and the kids come up with better answers than you could even imagine. Oh, 47 minutes I've got. I thought that might wipe the smiles off some faces, but still, yeah. I'm not a regular preacher. I don't do it very often. I've never been given a lesson on how to prepare a sermon. Um, but here I am. <clears throat> but I always tend to over-prepare, like I did last time when I got to about 40 minutes and still realised I still had 20 pages of notes left to get through. And it completely ruined the sermon, really, because the best part was in those 10 pages and <coughs> it would have summed up all that I'd preached. But here we go. Here we go. I've been looking through, or running through, the, the, the book of Hebrews. Uh, with great help from Raymond Brown, one-time minister at Upton Vale. Um, and he's written a book on the Hebrew commentary on Hebrews in the Bible Speaks Today series of books. I don't know if you've ever come across them. They're absolutely brilliant. And every book in the Bible is gone through by various, not, not just one commentator, but various people they've got to write on their specialities. And after all these years, I think I've suddenly discovered what a gem this book of Hebrews is. Hands up all those have ever word, heard of Woody Allen. Woody Allen, yeah, well known. I don't know much about it. I can't honestly say that I've ever watched one of his films. Well, not the right the way through, but then that would be true of most people's films because I normally fall asleep after the first half hour anyway. But Woody Allen, in one of his films, he says this. If only God would speak to me just once. If he would only cough. If I could just see a miracle. If I could see a burning bush or the seas part. And then comically he says, or even my uncle Sasha pick up the bill on a night out. Indicating that if he could see any of that, he would probably believe in God. And I think that's the, that's the problem with most people probably throughout the ages, but certainly today, if you can show me God, then I'll believe. If it was something practical that I could believe in, give it to me, give me something practical. But as we know, well, some of us know, God doesn't work like that. That's not God at all, and that's asking for God on our terms, isn't it? Asking God to prove his existence. Where does the Bible start on the assumption, in the beginning, God? In the beginning, God. It's amazing now, isn't it? If only God would speak to me. 
1,800 years of God speaking to this world. 1,800 years, and Woody Allen hasn't heard him. And that goes for a vast majority of people. Because they haven't bothered to seek him out, they haven't bothered to listen. And Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews, right at the very start of his letter, right at the, well, I'll explain that in a minute. <coughs> I promised myself I wouldn't use the term letter. I'll, preferred, I'll, I'll refer to it as a book because he starts off as a sermon, middles up as an essay, and ends up with a, with a greeting at the end as if he's written a letter. So it, it's all three, really. It's a sermon. Uh, it's, a, it's a sermon, it's a, it's a letter, and it's an essay. But right at the start of his book here, the very first verse, in the past, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Very easy to miss over little words, and I often say, whenever I'm speaking to people, or even when I'm reading scripture, it's very important that we take note of the little words, isn't it? The little adverbs, the little conjunctions, all those little words that are in there, that make such a difference to it. Because in the past, God has spoken through his prophets. But now, he is speaking by his son. His son is the word. And God has done that. It's spoken through his son. You go back through the prophets, you'll find them all there. Isaiah, he prophesied on the result of vision. Jeremiah on the word which came to him. Ezekiel on the heavens being opened up and seeing a vision. Daniel, a mystery revealed. Hosea, the word of the Lord came to him. Joel, the word of the Lord that came to him. Amos 5, uh, five times in chapter 1 of Amos, this is what the Lord says. Over the now, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. And the word of Lord came to Jonah. And so it continued on until God spoke by his Son. And in these last days, another translation in that and another uh, version of the Bible, in this last age, Friends, I think I can confidently say to you today, there's nothing more to be said. God has said it all. What we have now is it. And yet still people like Woody Allen, mind you, at a party in Iowa, I don't know him personally, like Woody Allen, if only God would, would show, me, show me something a bit more. If only God would show us a bit more. He's not going to. He's shown it all in his son. He's shown it all in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is him in this last age. You remember when they went up onto the mountain at the transfiguration? And what a wonderful song. So much of it is made of, of, uh, of Ezekiel. And Moses, 
and Peter wanting to make the, the, the tabernacles there on the and everybody misses the little words, don't they? When the voice of God spoke, this is my beloved son. What does he say? Three words. Listen to him. Listen to him. God has spoken through his son. And not as a messenger. He's not speaking through his son. He has spoken by his son. Jesus isn't the messenger. And uh, the book of Hebrews, the writer here, goes on very much, in, particularly in this first chapter, because the angels were God's messengers and they held very high privilege in, the, in, in Judaism amongst the Jews. But he goes now in Hebrews chapter 1 and he goes to great lengths to, to, to tell these people because this uh, letter, it, <laughs> this book, this book, was written to Jews. That's why it's called Hebrews. Possibly a congregation of Jews who were meeting, maybe Christians amongst them, maybe meeting separately, as was their want. Quite often we're quite picky about people we worship with, aren't we? Possible they was a group of Jews on their own. Possibly they were a, a, a group of Jews within a Gentile congregation. We don't know. No good speculating. We're not supposed to speculate. What is it? It's revelation, not speculation. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know who he wrote it to. We can assume rightly, I think, and correctly, what he was writing about. So therefore we can sort of judge the, the, the sort of people he was writing to, their spiritual state. But we know nothing else about either the writer or the congregation or people that he was writing to. But he goes out of his way to, to, to explain how Jesus is much more superior to the angels. This wasn't no ordinary messenger. And the tone, isn't it? The tone. When the prophets came, they would say, and as I read out there, the Lord came, the word came to, and I heard the word of the Lord, and this is the word of the Lord, listen to it. Where's a different emphasis now when Jesus is speaking and we listen to him? He doesn't say, this is what the Lord says. <coughs> I say unto you, I say unto you. God is now speaking by his son. That should tell us something very definite about the Lord Jesus. You have to excuse me because I'm a shocker for following me notes. And quite often I'll, I'll say something now and then three pages on I find it's written down there as well. So that, that comes from inexperience. <laughs> it can be a little bit of a confusing book. Uh, that's what I wanted to read. Sorry. Let's just read. I'll just read this first few verses of Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of the God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. 
So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Superiority. God's exact representation. Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. Paul is very definite. Uh, sorry. It can be a bit confusing, this book, in so much that at the end of this chapter, in the beginning of chapter 2, he warns people, there's a warning, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Now, a lot of people have interpreted that and hinted that you can lose your salvation. But Paul is very definite in his writing to the Romans that you cannot lose your salvation. Once you are truly saved, God will hold you in his hand and no one shall pluck you from it. And that's the blessed assurance that you can sing about in that wonderful hymn. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. You can be sure of your salvation. And I guess if Hebrews was the guy who wrote this book, he's writing here to great parts this morning, he'd be saying, are you sure? And he'd also be adding, I don't care how long you've been coming here, I don't care whether you come here six times a week or one time a week, are you sure of your salvation? Because he's writing to, it seems obvious to me, as I've looked at this now and read it through, that he's writing to quite a wide congregation, a wide audience, if you like. He's dealing with those who are sure of their salvation. He's dealing with those who have none at all. And he's also dealing with those who are hovering. Are you hovering? Are you not quite sure? You see, what these Jewish folk were having great difficulty and Understandably so, because along comes Jesus, and this is really like changing their whole religion. Here's something new. Is it right? Surely not. God has led us all the way, he's brought us here, and all of a sudden now, and in the book of Hebrews, the, once again, the, the, the writer 
is makes goes to great painting. It's a it's a great book. He tries to build that bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he's saying to them, no, this is not a new religion. This is a continuation. This is the Abrahamic covenant, covenant coming to fruition. Because God promised Abraham that through his seed, the whole world would be blessed. And here was Jesus, the seed of Abraham. God's completion of that covenant. And you and I, you and I have the privilege of living in the fulfilment of that covenant that God made to Abraham. We are truly blessed through Jesus Christ. And of course, it's all about reconciliation. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life, that you may have it more abundantly. Reconciliation and God's initiative to reconcile man to God. You see, Woody Allen. It was his initiative. Show me this. Show me this. And I will. But this is God's initiative. I'll show you my son. And that is it. The book of Hebrews quotes more Old Testament than any other book in the New Testament. The guy is very, very knowledgeable in what he is writing. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful book and he, he, he brings it all round. But the warning's still there. And there's another warning. I think it's in chapter 5. Well, I thought it was chapter 5. <laughs> Where he talks about people who have experienced wonderful things. Have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit have seen what's happened in churches, have been around people. But they've experienced all these things, not for themselves. They've been part of congregations where it's happened. And churches are full of people like that, who are still sort of hovering. They've created their own salvation. Because this has happened to them or that's happened to them. Or they're in a good fellowship that's built them up and they've got made good friends. And they're part of it. Being part of a church doesn't make you part of God's kingdom. Just stepping aside for a moment, verse 6 there of chapter 1. And it's, it reads, And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. <coughs> Are you aware of the second commandment? I don't mean love your neighbour as yourself. 
because that is in the second commandment. Are you aware of the second commandment? You will make no images and you will worship nobody else because I am a jealous God. I will not share your worship with anybody else. And yet here he is. And God's saying, let all, let all my angels worship him. I know the word Trinity doesn't appear in Scripture, but it screams it, doesn't it? It screams it. Jesus, second verse. But in these last days he spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of his being. See Jesus, see God. In these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son. So what about these people? These, I don't know whether you'd call them Ditherers, I mean, in, in all fairness to them, this is a big change. I mean, religion, religion is a big thing, and it was a big thing. And a true Jew was a very religious man. But all of a sudden, this is now being turned on its head. So it wasn't easy to come to terms with it. And our sympathies must lie, and our compassion must lie with people like that. So what's the answer? Well, that comes on the second chapter as well. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. I don't know how long you've been going to church, how long you've been associated with churches, but I can honestly say that over the years, I. I well, I've actually been going to church since I was four years old. So what's that? Nearly 75 years now. Now, I can see the shock on your faces. It must run into the hundreds, the number of people who were like this, who have drifted away. People who were pretty much involved in the church as well drifted away. Why? because they haven't paid careful attention to the word of God. Very often quite flippant about it. Nothing better to do with their lives. My me, me life isn't filled with anything. I'll go to church and met some nice people there. And yes, there's a degree of truth in, 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 in what I hear. I like the teaching. I'd like to be like Jesus. I mean, that, that's, that's great. If everybody was like Jesus, what a wonderful world we'd live in. But just missing that further step. Afraid to take it. Commitment.
And when I look back over the years, and, and, and sometimes, you know, you can, you, can, you can see, I'm sure you can as well, if you close your eyes, you can see people who you have known through the ages, who seem so keen, so it up, and yet they seem to have missed the whole point of it. They've gone down the road of good works. Surely God will recognise what I've done. <coughs> but they're not people, let's make this quite clear, these are not people that he's particularly referring to in the first chapter and then first couple of verses. These are not people who have been saved or genuinely saved. These are those that, you know, the, the sort of halfway, halfway people. And they just give up in the end when the going gets tough, when things don't get right, quite right. Something else comes along that takes their fancy. Couldn't help wondering, my, 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 but I, I trust it was the Lord who, who, who sort of led me and, and, and brought it to mind. But it suddenly came to mind as I was preparing the, the where John the Baptist came, and John said he would baptize with water, the, the, the baptism of repentance. But there is one coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And I think these particular people, and I guess this is the message for this morning, these particular people were hovering, and so many of them sort of hover between those two baptisms. Does that make sense? It, it does to me. <laughs> I just don't know. They're hovering between those two baptisms. Yes, they, they, they recognise that they're bad people. They recognise that they're sinners. They can repent in their minds, I guess. They can even be baptised with the water of John, as, as I'm sure most of these people probably would have been. But they've missed out on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and this is what he's urging them to do. Pay careful attention. Pay careful attention. I always remember a London City Missionary. I used to have the Scripture Union daily notes. Still have them, actually, amongst other things. I don't know if in those days it was called daily bread I used to get as a boy. And I can always remember the London City Mission saying to me, if you rely on daily bread, you'll starve to death. Because notes are useful and they're good. Don't get me wrong, you should use them. I'm not putting them down at all. But if that's all you're living on, you're not really paying careful attention to the things that you have heard. There has to be more commitment than that if you're going to pay careful attention and truly submit to the word of God. 
and truly commit, submit to his son by whom he now speaks to you, to me, to the world. He's in charge, completely and utterly in charge of all things. He is the heir of all things. And somewhere else in scripture, getting too old to remember exactly where, that we are joint heirs with him. What a privilege. But not if you're hovering, not if you're likely to slip away. You can't lose your salvation, so what is it telling you? If, if, he, is, if he is telling us here they're in danger of slipping away, what is it telling us? It's telling us they are not saved. They do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord Saviour. They know of him. They're quite happy to think that maybe God still speaks through him. But he's not. He has spoken by him. And it is all about Jesus. I'm going to stop there because I don't <coughs> I don't like looking at sermons on the on the website and seeing that somebody's spoken for fifty minutes. <laughs> but you see I hate saying this but at the same time it, it, it's true the devil knows his job very well he does his job very well <coughs> And he will convince you that you are saved. I'm not looking at anyone in particular, sorry. <laughs> he will convince you that you are saved. And there's thousands of people out there who believe they are. But they're not. Because they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. They haven't paid careful attention to his word. They haven't paid careful attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not at all. Still caught up as, as this guy is trying to, to move the, these, these Jewish people away from their past, uh, their past way of worshipping and, and, and their past ways of knowing what God wanted and, and when he spoke to them through the prophets which they never listened to in the first place anyway these guys are still living under the influence of the first baptism of water but not under the baptism of the Holy Spirit It's quite amazing that I don't go down the road of, uh, of some who, who go over the top with the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I do believe that it comes to different people in different ways. God, still, God deals with you as an individual. 
There are some people who will say, well, if you've never spoken in tongues, you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. You will know if you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember John Wesley's testimony? Suddenly he felt a warmth. Just a warmth. So simple, isn't it? As the Holy Spirit comes to you in, in that gentle way. He doesn't force his way in. He comes in. There's no bangers going off and sparklers and star-spangled banners and goodness knows what else. Not necessarily. Sometimes there may be. God can do what he wants. But if you want the real assurance, real assurance of knowing that you're saved, you will have been baptised or you need to be baptised with the Holy Spirit. And the only person who will do that? Jesus. Because he said when he went away, I will send another. I will send another. And it is now him that we live by. I picked up a book, second-hand book in Choice Words, down to Newton Abbott. I don't know why. In another one of these things that I like to think, perhaps the Lord guided my hand. Called Tempted and Tried. By a guy called Russell Moore. And as I was reading this about slipping away, what did it say? We must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. And the word used there for drifting is like a boat without an anchor that's just drifting out to sea, no destination, just floating around on the water, going nowhere. It's called Slaughterhouse Drive. I apologise to any vegetarians before I read it. But it's called Slaughterhouse Drive. There's something rhythmic, almost soothing, about the soft clatter of it all. The soothing repetition sounded kind of like a summer thunderstorm coming up from the coast or a rickety old midnight train off in the distance. I had no idea that I was listening to what was the rhythm of cattle marching to a slaughterhouse. It turns out what I'd happened upon kind of randomly driving my car, was a public radio programme about factory farming. The broadcast was about how to kill cows, but with kindness. Actually, it wasn't really about cows. <coughs> they were just sort of the backdrop. The segment instead profiled a highly functioning autistic scientist who had learned through years of research how to register with stimuli, with stimuli produce which animal sounds and how to track what scares or stresses livestock. You'd think people would have better things to do with their time, wouldn't you, really? It turns out that the beef industry is willing to pay for this information and not entirely due to their humanitarian goals. High stress levels in animals can release hormones that could downgrade the quality of the meat. Some of the largest corporations in the world hired this scientists to visit their plants with a checklist. She said her secret was to insight that novelty distresses cows. A slaughterhouse then, in order to keep the cattle relaxed, should remove anything from sight of the animals that isn't completely familiar. The real problem is novelty. If dairy cattle are used to, to seeing bright yellow raincoats slung over gates every day, when they enter the milking parlour, there'd be no problem. It's the animal who's seeing a bright yellow raincoat 
coat slung over a gate for the first time at a slaughter plant or feedlot who's going to bulk. Workers shouldn't yell at the cow, she said, and should never ever use cattle prods because they are counterproductive and unneeded. If you just keep the cows contented and comfortable, they'll go wherever they're led. Don't surprise them, don't unnerve them, and above all, don't hurt them. Well, at least not until you slit their throats at the end. Along the way, this scientist devised a new technology that was, has revolutionised the way of the big slaughter operations. In this system, the cows aren't prodded off the track but are led in silence onto a ramp. They go through a squeeze chute, a gentle pressure device that mimics a mother's nuzzling glitch. The cattle continue down the ramp onto a smooth curving path. There are no sudden turns. turns. The cows experience the sensation of going home the same kind of way tra they've travelled so many times before. As they mosey along the path, they don't even notice when their hooves are no longer touching the ground. The conveyor belt slowly lifts them gently upward and then, in the twinkling of an eye, a blunt instrument levels a surgical strike right between their eyes. And livestock is turned to meat. So easy to feel comfortable, isn't it? The comfort of the message, the comfort that God loves you. But have you really paid special attention? Have you really gone that one step further? Or are you on this conveyor belt thinking that you're heading to something nice? The scientists called that operation Stairway to Heaven. Really, it's more like a slip road to hell, isn't it? Let's just pray. Father, we pray that in your grace and mercy, you will prevent us from being fooled into thinking that we're okay when we're not. Father, if there is anybody here this morning who is dawdling, not sure, not absolutely sure, then again, Father, in your mercy, as we sung earlier, you will open their, the eyes of their hearts that they will see your Son by whom you speak to the world today. See him in all his glory. Seeing him, see him in his exact representation of you. And put in their trust fully in him. And enjoying the joy that knowing that they are truly saved will bring into their lives. Father, in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.